What's up, everybody? Sultan of Strangles here, a.k.a. the Kimura King, a.k.a. the Ayatollah of Angle Locks. Guys, usually what I've noticed, the trend I have on this podcast, is I will bring famous people on. I'll be like, oh, this is going to be an awesome episode. Uh, People are going to love it. And then it's like, bro, like the episode just sucks. In my opinion, I'm bored out of my mind because they're just talking about themselves and it's like, all right, bro. But a couple episodes I've had, it's just someone who seemed a little, seemed really interesting. And regardless of whether or not the podcast existed or not, I probably would have bought them dinner and just asked to listen to their life story. A lot of times when I see someone who's super successful, I'd be like, hey, um, can I, you know, have some of your time? You know, I know a lot of people will pay, like, I know Alex Hormozzi was paid um, Grant Cardone like $10,000 for half an hour of his time. It's very valuable when you see someone super successful out there that if they are willing, learn something from them. And I met somebody at ADCC Open. He was competing and he did all right. He did really well. And after I looked at his Instagram, I saw he was a commentator for ADCC Open, for Fury, for Fight to Win. Then I, then I saw he lives in a mansion and like driving really nice cars and like very successful. Doesn't really flaunt it. Like you really had to dig through the pictures to find that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm interested in learning more about this guy. I'm like, why not just bring him on the podcast? This guy's life story was insane. Definitely one of my favorite podcasts that I've done. He went from military to going to jail, to coming out of jail, to training jujitsu, to becoming a multimillionaire on his own, his own business. Super inspirational. Definitely going to take him up on him being my mentor. I'm sure there's a lot I could learn from him. And it, that, was, that was wild. This guy's, I told him, like, you should write a book. He's like, I am. <laughs> Definitely one of my favorite episodes. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Problems with the episode were I tried to do Anchor, and Anchor sucks. It kept cutting the call, cutting the call. So what I did, I made some last-minute plans, you know, because I'm super intelligent like that. I took, um, I went on a, uh, recording a call, call recorder. And I just recorded my phone call with him on a regular line. So the quality is not that good. And I made the episode like that. So sorry in advance about the quality. But it's not about the quality of the sounds about the quality of the story. And I can guarantee you, this story is awesome. (laughs) Oh, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Before we start the episode, you know what you got to do. You got to go on Instagram. You got to Follow K O O L R A K. You gotta follow Immortals Jiu Jitsu. And last but not least, follow the podcast Rambling with Rack. If you are on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, share this podcast with your friends and family. Help it grow. All right, guys. Hope you enjoy the episode.
What's up? Hey, how's it going, brother? It's good. How are you? Good, man. Good, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. Yeah, no problem. All right. So um, I'm just going to give you a little quick intro and then we'll start. How's that sound? Okay. Sounds good. What's up, everybody? Sultan of Strangles here. And I am here with Black Belt Mike, Michael Alexander. We met at the ADCC Open where we both did pretty damn good. And I was really interested in getting to know him more. You know, I saw him announcing and doing a lot of big things. But when I looked at the Instagram, it looked a little mysterious. So I wanted to know the, the, the story behind, behind this man. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on tonight, man. How are you feeling today? Yeah, I feel pretty good. I've been at the Cowboys game most of the day. So I, uh, I've been home for a couple hours. So feeling pretty good. Just getting ready for a big week. Badass. So before we start about your background, we got to talk about a man who both you and me have a bone to pick with, and that is Steroid Stanley, a.k.a. TRT Thomas, the guy who stalled his way to gold at ADCC Open. Um, I was at ADCC Open. I was doing real good. I saw you won most of your matches. Then I saw you go against him. And I, I, I observed him. I noticed that his game plan was to pretty much do absolutely nothing and push you out and pretty much stall for the win. So I said, I'm not going to let him do this to me. And when I went against him, he was able to successfully do the same exact thing to me. And he ended up getting gold. What do you think about that whole event, Mike? In our bracket, we both yes. went against Steroid Stanley, yeah. a.k.a. TRT <laughs> Thomas. Yeah. Um, and he was able to stall his way to gold. Um, what are your thoughts on that whole event? So it's funny because before before the my match started, a couple of his teammates came up to me because, you know, I'm, I'm, he trains in Colorado. And uh, a couple of his teammates came up to me and said, hey, man, this dude is not going to engage with you. He's going to try to stay back. He's going to – if you do get him to the ground – um, he's going to kind of every time you you kind of gain position. Cool, cool. So yeah, uh, th- his own teammates came to you and told you that he's not going to engage. Yeah. So it was yeah they they said dude you're going to hate him because he's you know he's not going to engage he's not going to give you shit and uh, he was a division one wrestler and I was like well I'm just going to show him my hips and make him take me down and uh-huh. um, and so uh, you know whenever I I kept doing it. Um, you know, I kept just kind of playing his game, but then I would stand really, really tall thinking he would come in and try to shoot, uh, and he never would. And so, um, so yeah, he kind of did, he did the same thing to me. And then, um, on the metal stand, I don't know if you heard me, but before we went up to the metal stand, I was like, I was, he would. So, so on the podium, what did you say to steroid Stanley? Yeah. So, um, so his coaches were talking to me and they were like, yeah, man, we saw you, um, we saw you submit. Uh, your other three opponents and I was like yeah and he was like yeah he goes it was a t- you were his toughest match and all this other stuff and I was like yeah <laughs> so I was kind of just blowing him off and then I was like you know I was like you didn't engage at all you're a division one wrestler I was like I don't understand why you didn't take me down and he goes dude I just saw you submit three of your four opponents he goes there's no way I was going to go to the ground with you and so really? I was like well I mean I don't know what to say to that but but yeah, his, his own teammate said that he's a he's he's terrible to train with because he does the same thing in training. Never engages, just kind of runs the whole time. So 
pretty ridiculous if you ask me. Man, that was such a buzzkill for me. Um, same as you. I submit everybody. I get to the finals. I'm super excited to win the whole thing. And this freaking guy is just pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. And then um, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll just pull guard. Then I realized we were in overtime. And if I pulled guard, I would have gotten a negative. Yeah. So they gave me a penalty because he was just pushing me out and I couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. So he won by by a negative by one negative penalty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me it was the hip toss. Uh, you know, I tried a hip toss with like I don't know, fifteen seconds left, mm-hmm. and it didn't succeed. When we both landed, we scrambled, and he went into my guard, and they said I pulled guard, and they oh. they gave him two points, but they should have given him just given me a negative point, so it, it wouldn't have mattered. I didn't, I didn't, you know. It, I would have lost either way, so I don't really put too much into it, but after I kind of talked myself off the ledge later, I was just like, eh, you know, I came out of retirement to do this, so I uh, I wasn't, this was the only one I was going to do. I really wanted to win it, um, and uh, but, you know, shit like that happens, and I know it. I've had guys like that before, you know, that's why I retired, because guys like that would talk shit and they would challenge me to a fight or challenge me to a match and then I would go to the match and they would just like sit on their butt and they wouldn't do anything unless you gave them your feet and so yeah right and I was like man this is you know if this is where it's evolving to it's you know it's fine but I'm just not going to compete anymore it's not, so, <laughs> yeah it's not worth it anymore yeah you know yeah um, and the, only, the only reason I even came out is because Seth Daniels and Mo Jackson both said they were going to do it <laughs> so um, and then Seth ended up having to travel the day before. He wasn't even there that day. And then uh, Mo ended up getting hurt, rolling with uh, Ty or Cade Rotolo. Um, so neither one of them ended up being in the division. So oh wow, they were gonna they were gonna compete. Yeah, Seth was in our division for his his, his name was on the bracket, but Mo was going to, but he got hurt before the bracket, before the signups even came out. So. Wow. Yeah, it was it was gonna be a it was gonna be a really tough division. I don't know if you've ever rolled with either one of those, but they're really tough. Yeah, I've rolled with Mo before. I've never rolled with Seth, but Mo's definitely a tough son of a gun. Yeah, he is. <laughs> so, um, one thing I noticed, um, as a because I'm I'm a tax accountant during the day. Uh huh. I run a jujitsu gym at night. Yep. Is um. You know, the whole Instagram culture these days is people showing their roll of hundreds and people flexing this and that. And one thing I noticed that, you know, the super, super successful people that I do taxes for, they mm-hmm. rarely, rarely, rarely show the world. Yeah. Because they don't want anyone bothering them. They don't want people asking <laughs> them for money, you know? Yeah. Scrolling down your Instagram, you don't flaunt too much. But then I see, you know, picture of a, a giant, beautiful house. Then I see, like, a picture of a penthouse and a car, and I'm okay. I'm like, this guy's <laughs> definitely, uh, this guy's definitely got it made. So, just wanted to ask, like, where did it all, where did the journey start, and how'd you get to where you are today? You told oh me man, DC, multiple businesses, multiple restaurants. Yeah, so I, uh, it, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy um, because. In 2009, I had to start over. You know, the economy collapsed, and um, I'd gotten in some trouble when I was a young kid. You know, I was 19, and so I was on probation, and um, and then I ended up having to go to jail for a little while, and I, 
I lost everything. I lost everything I had. I'd always done oh pretty God. well. Yeah, I'd, I'd always done pretty well. And um, kind of, you know, I was, I, there was a big reevaluation on my life where I was like, all right, how do I want the rest of this thing to go? You know, it's been pretty good. Uh, you know, I've been pretty lucky up until I was 30. And then, um, you know, and then this happens. And so I lose everything. And so, um, at the time, um, I, I played a, you know, kind of backing up, I played a, uh, semi-pro football for a few seasons. Um, and one of my teammates was Brad Irons. I don't know if that name rings a bell to you, but he was on season two of the ultimate fighter. Okay. And, uh, he fought Rashad Evans in the finals. Uh, he's a hillbilly heartthrob. He's like, oh, I remember him. I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's one of my very best friends. So didn't he you know, fight, didn't he fight that Greek guy, uh, what was that, George something? Um, knocked him out cold. I don't know. Was um, Matt Hughes the coach that season? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this guy perfectly. Yep. Yeah, he he. I know he fought Seth Petrozelli in the semifinals. Um, he was the last one picked, but anyways, he's he's a really good friend of mine. We were teammates on that semi-pro football team, and um, he uh. You know, he ended up moving on. He he stopped playing football a year before I did, and um, you know, we were in our mid twenties. And um, so he goes on and and you know, somebody asked him to fight, and you know, asked him to start training. He was a really good athlete for a guy that was so big. He's six foot eight or six foot nine, two hundred eighty five pounds. He's huge. Uh-huh. And um, and so uh, you know, he went three and zero on the like a a local or a, a regional circuit. Uh, back then out of California, and uh, and then he got asked to go on the Ultimate Fighter. So, you know, he fought – I think he fought four or five times in the UFC, and he didn't do very well, but he – overall he did well, but he didn't do very well in the UFC. Um, but anyways, he had, a, he had a few sponsors. And so whenever I was, you know, in trouble and I was starting over, I was like, man, I don't know what – I don't know what I'm going to do. And he's like, well, he goes, why don't you – he goes, whatever you do, he goes, you're going to be good at it. He goes, but look, why don't you do something extracurricular? He goes, you ought to try MMA just to try it. And I was like, I don't know, man. I, don't, I can't even afford to train right now. Oh, so wow. he got so he got me sponsors, like, right away. So imagine, Mike, a white belt who had never trained in his life. I'm coming into the gym dressed like a Power Ranger with a check for two years' worth of tuition and, like, have, like, matching gear and, like all the best stuff, like as a white belt, day one. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So like, the first week of June of 2009 was the first day I trained, and uh, I started at Travis Luter's uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, you know, Travis won season four of the Ultimate Fighter, and um, you know, I started doing Jiu-Jitsu, started uh, doing that, and I. And he I, was uh, a hair. He was a hair away from beating. Silva. Yeah, he was, man. He, I, I always tell everybody, I think he exposed Anderson about how to beat him. It yeah. still took a while for people to do it, but that you know, you had to out wrestle him to to beat him. And then Chael got close by kind yep. of following the the master plan that Travis kind of laid out and showed people that this is how you beat him. Um, but you know, Anderson was the king, so real, it was really <laughs> tough to do. But but uh, but anyways, so uh, so yeah, so I. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. You know, my dad owned a business. I'm the son of a bricklayer. And so um, I went to work for my dad for a little while. And then, uh, you know, I, people heard that I was kind of back and I was trying to get back on my feet. So people started offering me all these things. And I just didn't want to be in the same groups again. So 
I uh, so I just kind of built it my started building it up myself and just um, started my first business in uh, in 2010 and um, you know was still doing jujitsu training seven days a week. But another funny kind of caveat to the way I started was uh, I started in June. I signed myself up in June of 2009. I signed myself up for my first MMA fight in October of 2009. Oh, God. So n- no prior experience, no nothing. Yeah. I was like, man, I just want to jump in there and just see it. It was an amateur fight, so I really didn't care. Uh-huh. And so I ended up losing, but I, I did really, really well. And so Travis came to me, and he's like, look, let's, if you want to fight, let's, can give me another year. Just wait a year, and then we'll fight again. And I was like, all right. Okay. So we, we fought again a year later, and I won, and then I won another one back, you know, kind of won back-to-back, and then I was – I was wanting to fight like every two months because, you know, I was getting older. I was 34 and years were, old now. Oh, you were this in 2009. You were 34? Yeah, I was 30. Well, I was 33 in 2009. But by the time I fought my second fight, I was 34. Okay. And, um, and uh, you know, I was like, you know, I only got a couple years left. So I want to get as many fights in as I can. And then, uh, but I was also kind of, you know, getting really good at jujitsu. And I was a really good student. And so, um, so started my business, training every day, and you know started out small. And it was a construction business, and um, we, uh, you know, we we I, I fought my fight, my third fight. Not long after that, I started having kidney problems from cutting weight because I'd never cut weight before in my oh, life. And I, I weighed two hundred five, and I was fighting at about one. Se- I was fighting at one seventy. Oh man. Um, yeah. So I was I was cutting like you know when I was at full weight. I never got up to full weight again. I got always hanging between 190 and 195 pounds because uh-huh. I, I was training so often. But um, but if I, if I got back, you know, full weight, I would weigh about 200 to 205, about okay. the size I am now. And I would, but I would cut to 170. And so that's finally, that's I started having kidney problems. Time. So because I was already, you know, about to be 35, Travis was just like, "Hey, man, why don't you just concentrate on jujitsu?" And uh, he goes, you know, this is you're not going to go anywhere with it, even if you were, you know, really, really good, and you could get, you know, seven or eight fights under your belt and have a winning record and make it. I mean, you'd be 40 years old by the time any of that happened. Yeah. And so, um, so I did. I started concentrating on jujitsu, which freed up a little time to kind of expand my business, and um, and then I just all of a sudden, I, I in my business, I got I got lucky, and um, I started doing government stuff and. This woman out of Andalusia, Alabama, had all these qualifiers for this minority um, government stuff that she basically didn't have to bid anything. They were just giving it to her, and um, and then she would call me and she would sub them to me, and I would do these big jobs. You know, started out like you know a few hundred thousand dollars uh, per job, and I would have like five or six going at one time in all these different states, and then it turned into you know a couple million dollar jobs, and then. Wow. It turned into, you know, kind of a, I would have, at one time I was working in eight different states and, uh, you know, I had millions of dollars in revenue coming in. And so I was just figuring it out. I didn't really, you know, I knew how to do it. I knew what I was doing, but I didn't really, the business part of it, I was like, man, I'm just, you know, figuring out cash flow problems and all that stuff and try to, you know, kind of how to run your office. The construction part I had down, it was the office part and the, like the behind the scenes stuff and, you know, how much of this cash do I have to keep and how much of this, you know, that, that was the part that I, that I was, 
that I was struggling with and trying to figure out. And so, and are, were you just doing general contracting? Or? Yeah, we were just just general contracting, and um, you know, we were building like we did like the the administration building for Trumbull Point and Key West. So most oh, wow. of the stuff we were doing is for like the Coast Guard and the Navy. So everything was on the on the coastlines. Wow. So everywhere everywhere we went, everywhere we were working was like a beach. It was like it was awesome, and so. Uh, you know, and they would rent these houses for us right on the beach, and that's where we lived while we worked. And so, um, so yeah, it was it was really nice for a while. And then, um, in the meantime, I had acquired a plumbing company. Somebody came in, and was about to lose their business, and they're like, "Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing wrong." And so, he's like, "Will you help me with it? Just kind of, I'll give you fifty percent of the assets and make you fifty percent owner if you'll kind of help me run it." Holy shit! So he was he was doing like. He was, a, he was a very small organization, and he was doing like 285000 a year, um, and I had it for a couple of years, and um, and then by the time I, I sold it back to him, um, we were doing like $5 million a year, wow. and, um, and so I sold it back to him, and then, you know, he kind of ran it back out, ran it, ran it out of business, but by then, I didn't care. There's a reason he came to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you gave it back to him. Yeah, and then um, in 2014, uh, Barack Obama kind of did a uh, sequester on government spending. wasn't supposed to wasn't supposed to affect um, construction, but somehow it did, and uh, and so that just came to like a screeching halt. And so I was like, you know, shit, I don't know what I'm going to do now. So I was kind of complaining about it. I was in a good cash position. I just built like a 7,000 square foot house. And, wow. Uh, yeah. So quite a change from, you know, 2009 to 2014, you know, I'd built up, I'd gotten married I'd, and uh, I'd built up a, a pretty good little uh, business. And um, I was kind of complaining about it in the locker room and this guy that I was training with, he was like, hey, you know, if you don't have anything to do, I'm about to start a home building company. Can you help me start it? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you start it. So I worked with him for a year, just kind of helping him get his trade base established and kind of getting his designs done and he owned all this property everywhere. So we had places to build it. Cause you know, down here in Texas, we got a shitload of land. Yeah. So he had, he had plenty of places to build. He just didn't have like the field experience. So I helped him out and I did, a, I signed a one year contract with him and it was pretty good money, but you know, I knew that it being a startup, I was like, it's not going to make a lot, but if it's something that we did long term after the first year, if we like each other and we, it works out, then we can, you know, we, it could be pretty lucrative. So I um so I uh <clears throat> so I helped him do it for a year. Uh we were pretty successful in the first year. We you know, we, we built it up pretty quick. And uh whenever the year came up, he was like um I was like, Hey, it's you know, it's time to renew our contract. What uh, what do you want to do? He's like, okay, I kinda like it the way it is now and I was like, Well yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm making a very small percentage of what the you know, what we're making off of it, so you know, I'm sure you do, but, you know, it's just not working for me. And he's like, well, you know, I'd, I'd really like to just keep it the way it is. I was like, well, this is this is where it ends. And we ended on good terms, but it kind of freaked him out. And he's, you know, he's he still owns it today and it's still successful and all those things. But it kind of freaked him out because he was like, after a year, he's like on his own. And so uh-huh. went home to my wife and I was like, you know what? I was like, you know, I've I've done a little bit in this industry and I've – you know, I was doing really well. I was like, 
people couldn't figure out how I was building these projects and doing them on time, and they couldn't figure out how I was making them on budget and all that. I'm just, I had a really creative mind when it came to kind of how to put these put these things together. Uh-huh. And so, um, so I went home and told my wife, I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm going to go to work for somebody for a little while because I want to go and I want to work on a billion-dollar job. And uh, there, she was like, uh, okay. So I kind of looked yeah. to see what was out there. And um, I went to work for as a superintendent for this company, and I had to lie on my resume. I had to, like, downplay my resume and make it look like I was less qualified than I was because that's the only position that they had. But they were part of the, the minority participation team that was building the new Globe Life Field for the Texas Rangers. And it was okay. a $1.2 billion project. Um, and then it also had a whole complex over there. So there was an entertainment venue called Texas Live. And there was a hotel called Live by Lowe's. Well, we weren't ready to start the stadium yet, and so um, one of the we were, this company was on a joint venture with a company called Turner, and they're one of the what's called the Big Ten. They're one of the ten largest construction companies in the world, and uh, uh-huh. this company's doing a joint venture with them. And I was on this job with them. They put me on this visual performing arts center that they were building, and I was on there for about six weeks. And they were like. The, the project executive came to my boss and was like, hey, I don't know who this guy is, but he is not – he's not a superintendent. You know, he's he's like out here showing us how to do this – run this building. He's showing us how to – how we're doing the, the business part of it wrong. You know, he's like – he goes, you, this is not a – I don't know who he is, but he's not a superintendent. Uh-huh. So they kind of called me, and they are like, hey, wh- what's up, dude? And I, so I told him what I just told you. I was like, look. If I would have came in here with my resume, you would have said you're overqualified for this position. You wouldn't hire me. And I was like, I want to work on the stadium. And so they're like, okay, so what do you – so show us what you've really done. So I told them, and they're like, okay, well, we're going to put you on contract, and we want you to run all of our stuff out in the field. We want wow. you to run everything. And I said, okay, what do we have going on? So we were doing a, a remodel for Phillips Arena in uh, Atlanta uh, where the Atlanta Hawks play. And that was about $350 million. Um, we were doing a, uh, a library storage facility that was made out of a material called CLT, which is cross-laminated timbers. It's a building construction style they do in Austria, uh, but they don't do it. It was only the ninth one ever constructed here in the United States. And it was the first one ever in the, in, uh, the state of Arkansas, and wow. we were doing it. And so I took that one over. And then I took over the entire stadium, hotel, and Texas Live team. So I was running about five – I went from being a superintendent on this site for about six weeks to running $500 million worth of production <laughs> for this company on contract. And so um, when we were building the stadium, you know, they were – my part of it was, you know, we were finishing up Texas Live. We were finishing up the hotel. My part of it was a $22 million conference center attached to the hotel. And then the Texas Live is about a $250 million entertainment complex. And so we were doing a lot of the finishes in there. When we were um, we were doing the stadium, I started, like, just making stuff happen because the stadium team was not local to Texas. They were, like, from Florida and from other places, so they didn't have a lot of local contacts. And so, wow. so wait, you know, so uh, – So is this, like, union jobs or – no, there's there's unions not real big down here. They do have some, but they don't really have a lot of power down here. They're it's not like up north where you know the union kind of runs everything as far oh, as yeah. trades up go. Oh yeah, the union runs everything. Yeah, down here they don't. They're you know they have a 
a little bit of power when it comes to you know they'll they can make they can they can do a little bit to make your job kind of miserable for a little while but uh texas is a right to work state so unions just don't work down here they're, they're good for employees down here but they're not good for you know they don't it, it doesn't really help them get any work so right so, to work what does that mean it means that um you don't have to be a union it means that you can hire anybody you want to to do it and you can fire them for any reason that there's there they can't hold you to any contract but you can fire them you can get rid of them you can do anything you can basically okay. do anything you want employment wise as long as it's not like a um an hr um you know fire or something like that but yeah you don't have to have a reason to fire anybody in texas oh wow okay yeah so it makes it makes it very competitive makes it very difficult but um it kind of saves us from the kind of the press that the union can put on uh on jobs down here oh yeah like we'll we'll never have a job shut down in texas because the union they would just just hire them and replace them (laughs) (laughs) so so yeah it's uh it's really really different but uh but yeah, the 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 construction team there from Manhattan, another Big Ten, they were like, um, they were uh, <clears throat> they were like, hey, we don't have any local people here, and there's some broadcast boxes we have to have made. So I called one of my buddies that owns a little steel fab shop that deals a lot with stainless steel, and I took him the cut sheet, and I was like, hey, can you make these? And he's like, yeah. And uh, I said, how much? And he told me, so I doubled the price and sold them. Wow. <laughs> <to> the stadium. <laughs> And uh, they were like, where'd you get these? I was like, I made them. And so they were wow. like, God. so I kind of saved the day out there on a couple of things like that. And uh, and so people started to get to know me. And um, I was at work one day, and somebody came up and said, hey, I want to meet with you about something. Um, can I? Can we meet kind of off-site? And I was like, yeah. So he went, and he's like, hey, I, you know, I have an opportunity to, to have this fast food franchise. I wanted to see if you wanted to maybe look into doing it with me. And so we looked into it and, and ended up doing it. And so, nice. Which one? So it's called Lane's Chicken. Uh, it's really big down here in Texas, especially around College Station. Uh-huh. Uh, but it it just became a it, – so it's the Raisin Cane's business model, uh, but they've actually been around longer than Raisin Cane's. Raisin Cane's started in 96. Uh, Lane started in 94. Raisin Cane's got their the own the founder of Raisin Cane's got his idea from Mike Lane, and Mike Lane was like, "Yeah, I don't, you can copy it. I don't care," and you know, turned into fifteen hundred stores worldwide. And, wow. Um, and then Lane's now, uh, somebody bought. It's kind of a long story, but through two people, they bought the the brand from Mike Lane, and then this other guy bought it, and then our friends bought it from him, and so and then they franchised it. And so up until uh, last year, we were the first franchise group, uh, and now there's over 100 stores sold across the country. And Wow. Um, there's, it's, it's the hottest first-generation franchise on the market, and so it's, it's, uh, it's going to grow. It's, it, uh, I think there's a few stores open in Maryland now. Um, I know there's tell, a, us, tell us, us northern, us northern folk, a little bit about Raising Cane and the, uh, the other things. <laughs> Never heard of those before up here. Yeah, so raisin canes is like chicken. It's like breaded chicken fingers, like soft breaded chicken fingers. And uh, lane, we, lanes and, and canes are the same thing. Um, I mean, there's a few differences. Of course, lanes is better, but um, but uh, 
but it's it's chicken fingers, French fries, and then uh, Raisin Cane's doesn't sell milkshakes, but we sell milkshakes. Okay. And um, um, and then they give like a piece of Texas toast. It's like a little half piece, and we give a whole piece of Texas toast. Okay. Uh, and then we season our batter for our chicken wings or for our chicken fingers, and they don't. And so it's uh it's really good. I mean, it's not good for you, but it, I never eat it. But it's uh it's really good. <laughs> So you wouldn't you wouldn't put it in the same um, category as like a Popeyes or KFC. No, so there those are a little bit lower tier. That's there's so there's there's three or four tiers when it comes to fast food, and those are mm-hmm. a little bit lower tiered. Ours is like a mid to high range um, price point for fast food. Um, mm. So like one of our meals is like eight bucks, and it's like four chicken fingers, and they're big. Um, some French fries and a drink, um, and it's like eight bucks. And so, um, so yeah, it's like a higher uh, mid-range for fast food, and it's, um, you know, it's 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 fast food. It's recession-proof. It's all that stuff. And I had to learn. I didn't know anything about the fast food business. And I kind of had to learn it all, kind of as I was putting these proposals together, trying to get people to invest in it in our wow. franchise group. And so, I didn't really know about it, but you know, the brand believed in us and they, you know, we really got along with them well. And so, um, you know, so we're, we're still working on it. We, you know, we have all these performance clauses we have to meet up, meet and, um, for stuff like this, we, I'm, you know, I'm not using my own money. I'm using investors money. And so, you know, kind of, as you get a store open, you got to, you know, a certain amount of time passes, you got to either open one in your territory, or you got to sell one of your spots in your territory to let somebody else open it. And, if you keep doing that, pretty soon you don't have a territory. And so we're uh, so we're in the process of trying to get another store open uh, in East Dallas. And so we're uh, in the middle of that right now. Um, and then um, so we have the construction company, we have the fast food, and then um, I have a um, a company that sells grinding abrasives and work gloves. Okay. The steel fab and oil field industry. Uh huh. Um, and it it does pretty well. It's pretty new. Um, so I just started it not last year. Um, it does pretty well. It's you know the markup is really good. The the uh, the need for it's really good. I just haven't had a lot of time to spend a lot of time on it. But we we manufacture our own stuff over in um, Germany and Holland. That's where our grinding abrasives are made, and then our um, our like our FR coveralls and things like that. They're either made in Turkey or in Pakistan. And so, um, what's a grinding yeah. abrasive? So you know, like a grinding wheel that goes on, like a it's like a like a cutting wheel. Oh wow! Uh, on like a knife sharpener. Uh, kind of. It's it's very similar. They that is a grinding abrasive. A knife sharpener is a grinding abrasive. But these are for like um, smoothing welds. Like if you weld a piece of steel. And you want oh, wow. to smooth the weld out, you kind of smooth it out with these grinding abrasives, and it, That's cool. it goes on an angle grinder. And um, yeah, we have all different kinds of that. And then, um, um, yes, we have that. And then I do commentary for UFC Fight Pass, and uh, and I do some acting. <laughs> so that's really cool. It's crazy. What made you, what made you branch out of construction? Man, I started to see that like. After you know, after the collapse in 2008, I started to see that I was like, man, you know, this is it's really good when it's good, but when it's bad, man, there's just not shit you can do about it. You just gotta wait. 
And so wow. if you want to stay in this business, so, um, and so I just wanted to have, you know, more than one stream of income. So I just started kind of looking at other avenues. I wasn't really looking, but I was like, all right, well, whenever it comes, you know, available, um, if something comes up, I'm, I'm going to look at it and just try to see if I can split my time between two or three things. And I never thought that it would turn into something that I could live off of or retire off of. I was just always like, you know, if something happens again, I want to have another income to where I can, you know, I can keep living and I don't have to, you know, I don't have to, you know, change my lifestyle or sell anything or, um, you know, because we're, I mean, it can, COVID is a good example that, you know, we, we lost, I mean, I don't know, I lost a couple million dollars during COVID. My God, that I'll never recover. That I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll earn it back through different avenues now. But you know, that's just, I just basically two million dollars got flushed down the toilet for COVID. And so, oh, yeah. um, so after you know, and, and especially after that, we were just like, man, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be in that situation again where I'm depending on one stream of income, even though it's really good. Yeah, uh, you know, you can cash flow something. Um, you know, because especially the projects I'm doing now, you know, we're we're going to a groundbreaking ceremony for a ninety million dollar project. Wow. You can cash flow something like that for two months, not get paid. The company who's who was supposed to pay you go out of business and you might be bankrolling four or five million dollars uh a month in billing. And so oh um and you can use the bank's money, but you know, ultimately they'll come after yours. So <laughs> you gotta be really creative. As you know, you gotta be really creative with kind of where you put it. So that's a high stress situation, man. And you would think so, but it's just after a while, you're just like, you know, I've built it up and lost it and built it back up. And now you're just like, man, fuck it. If it, if I'm not going to stress about it. I'm just going to, you know, handle my business, stay on top of it, never kind of let it go to the wayside. And mm-hmm. um, it just never feels that way. It just feels, it's fun to me. And, you know, especially. You know, you throw a week in there where I've got a groundbreaking ceremony next week. I've got a movie release that's supposed to come out next week. I've got um, a show to do in South Texas that I'll be in studio for in Houston um, on Sunday. And oh, so wow. like next, Yeah, like next week is like a, a big week where I've got so much going on, and I'm just – I'm excited about it. It never gets where I'm stressed out and feel like, you know, holy shit, it, it's overwhelming. It just – and I still train jujitsu four or five days a week, so um, yeah, it never gets never gets old. It never it never really feels stressful to me. That's badass. It seems like um, it seems like regardless of what field you go into, you find a way to become real successful in it. You know, with the construction, with the managing, with the fast food, with the commentary. What are some What are some key principles you could maybe share with the audience? Um, on how to become successful in whatever you you really want to do? Well, I think people just have a skewed vision of what they think successful people do. You know, I think they just, I think they think that, you know, that they were just always good at it. Yeah, like they were always good at it. Like it just came to them or their dad gave it to them or, you know, whatever. Um, But, and whenever you, whenever you come across something, if you, you know, there, there are things that, you know, there people do jujitsu uh, for all different reasons, and but hardly any of them think they're going to get rich at it. And so, you know, they're they're doing it for way other reasons. Um, and so, they don't have to dedicate their life to it. And they don't have to 
like be 100% focused on it because they have a day job and they have kids and they have all these other things. But when you decide to open a business, you have to be able to dedicate as much time and space to all of them. And so you, you have to, you like really have to be focused and you really have to, uh, you know, kind of make sure that you're making good decisions on all of them and, you know, don't get emotional about things and, um, you know, just, just take the facts. And, you know, I say, Steve Jobs said, um, you know, f- uh, hire smart people and then uh, ask them what you can do for them. And so that's what I do. I hire really smart people and I just go to work for them. I make sure oh, wow. they have everything they need. I make sure that they, you know, I work really hard to service the people that work for me. And because I do that, I think it, you know, they, they're protecting my business. Uh, their interest is, you know, their interest stays in it because no one's ever going to care about your business as much as you do ever. Yeah. No matter how much you want them to, no matter how much you think they should, they just don't. And so, um, but if you, if you invest in them and you give it back to them, we're like, all right, I've given you this responsibility and now I work for you. Tell me what you need to be successful. And then you start feeding them those things. And then they're like, holy shit, this is easy. You know, it makes it easy whenever you don't have a boss that's kind of telling you what to do. He's kind of holy shit. helping you, you know, kind of succeed. And he's, it almost feels like he works for me, you know, and I have the final say and I'm the, uh, you know, I'm the boss, but it doesn't, it never feels like that to him. And I never want it to. I just, I just think if people took that, take that attitude uh, at everything that they're doing, just become servant, become a servant leader uh, whenever you're in business and, um, and hire really, really smart people. And I, and I know there's people that will say, no, 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 you got to be the, the man and you got to be on top of the mountain and you got to be all these things. And I know you, ha- I know there are some businesses out there where you have to be like that, but businesses I'm in are just not one of them. I'm, mine's a hundred percent, you know, service industry um, you know, kind of the only one you have to kind of take control of your own destiny is the commentary, um, because it's uh, you know, it's it's very competitive, especially now. Every fighter who's about to retire wants to get in front of the camera and see if he can yep. do it. And so, and because you know I wasn't a high-profile fighter, you know, it's it's a little more difficult for me to get the opportunity than it is for them. So I have to just be that much better. I have to prepare really well. I have to, you know, I have to. Uh, make sure that I'm putting in the work, make sure that I know my shit when I go into the show. Um, and so, you know, and then just be fluid with it. Um, you know, you can't be robotic. You can't be kind of, you can't say the same things over and over. It's just, there's a lot to it. And so that's, that's the only thing where you kind of got to step in and just kind of make your own way and just be your own, you know, be, you got to be unique. Uh, but you also kind of have to be, um, where you're a little bit mainstream, but you got to be very unique also, or else you'll never get noticed. Interesting. So, yeah, it's a it's an interesting dichotomy to kind of go through all these things, and you know, I kind of prioritize my day through, you know, what I what I have that week, and it changes from one week to the next, and it's a it's a lot of fun. But you know, I would say if you're if I had one piece of advice to give, you know, kind of wholeheartedly was like just. If you're going to open a business, you're going to do something like that, then just plan to be married to it, uh, especially at first. And, you know, once it's established, become a become a servant leader and hire smart people, and you'll you'll have a successful business. Could you give me an example or two of, like, a couple of times where you hired someone smarter and how it worked out for you? Um, I, I mean, I'd say 
that all my people are smarter than me right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, no, I'll, give you, I'll give an I'll give you an example of how I did it, and I guess you could give me something similar. Um, okay. I've had a gym for two years now, um, mm-hmm. and you know I trained under John Danaher, so I know that I have the no gi jujitsu under wraps. You know. Yep. I'm the best in the area here to teach that. I'm confident, but I have zero experience with the kids. So I hired someone to teach the kids. Yep. And I just help them. I learn from them. I give him whatever he wants, and the kids' program is has blown up. Um, I'm not really the best striker, so I yep. hired a striking coach. Um, what do you need? What do you need me to do? I did everything he asked, and that's also blown up. So those are like two simple examples. I'm interested in, like, your fast food construction, those other businesses, how you implemented that, like, who it was and, like, how it worked out. Yeah, so I uh, so I, I really like mentoring guys, especially guys that are um, maybe a little bit edgy and, uh, you know, guys like us, right? guys that are like, you know, we're not normal walking around. You know, people see us, they see our ears, they see our – kind of the way we walk, they see our knuckles, they're like, you know, there's some, something wrong with this guy. It's not normal. And and I see that in other people, but it's usually for different reasons. And um, I had a guy named Trey Silva that um, he had come out of the oil fields and he wanted to be in the construction business and he wanted to be a superintendent. And so whenever they told me about him, they were like, yeah, he's really, really smart, but, you know, he's just, he's rough around the edges. He doesn't know how to talk to people and all these other things. So, um, so I kind of took him under my wing, and um, he, I used him on that project I had at the University of Arkansas. And uh, you know, I kind of told him, he was like, hey, they're really close to fire you. I think you can do it. I think you got what it takes. But if you'll listen to me, I will make it look like you built this whole thing. I'll make it look like that every bit of this was your idea, this you're doing. I just supported you, and that's it. And he's like, all right. So first things first, I made him clean his uniform up. You know, he'd, wa- he'd walk around, like, wearing just these shitty-looking shoes and the shirt untucked and a, a baseball cap with a fish hook on it. And oh, wow. Just, just a, you know, his, he was just didn't look kept, and he was overweight and all these things, which, you know, the weight wasn't something I could do about right away, but I was like, I want you to feel better about coming to work. So I need you to put some work boots on. I need you to put – you tuck your shirt in, and he's like, oh, I'm too fat to tuck your shirt in. I was like, okay, well, you work that out with you. But uh-huh. if you're too fat to tuck your shirt in, then you buy a bigger shirt. Uh-huh. So he did, and, uh, you know, he cut his hair and uh, all these things, and now we're working for the University of Arkansas, and I'm kind of pulling, showing him how to do this and going through these things, and he thinks he needs all these people, and I fired all the people that he thought he needed. Oh, and wow. I, got, I got rid of them. And I was like, no, no, you don't need these people. You're smart enough to do this. So I started showing him how to do it. He finished the project. Uh, the, when we took the project over, it was about a month behind. And it was just starting, but it was already a month behind. And we had about 13 months left on construction. Well, he ended up finishing it a month early. It was under budget. Um, and, I mean, they were just singing his praises at the University of Arkansas. And they're like, you know, kind of they kind of knew – yeah, Mike, you showed him how to do it, but it was all his doing. I just showed him what to do, but he he really did a good job. And now he's like, he's moved on. Uh, I didn't have anything for him. Um, he he did a couple more jobs for me, and then we didn't have a project for him to go to, so um, I hooked him up with another company. And now he's there. He's only in his uh, like late thirties, 
but now he's their general superintendent, so he runs a bunch of other superintendents. He's down to like 195 pounds. He's ripped now. He's you know he's like really well kept, and I mean he's he's like a top notch, top notch superintendent. And wow. so, um, so yeah, he was a it was a really big turnaround from him from the time I got him, and it all happened in about three years, two or two and a half or three years, and uh, before he was one of the best superintendents, and he was highly sought after. I doubled how much money he made uh, just off you know, and he. he He's just working for other people, so he was making seventy five thousand whenever I, uh, whenever I first met him, and I think now he makes close to two hundred, uh, you know, which is a big deal for him uh, in just that amount of time uh, to be kind of flipped around, and you know, he was he was I'm taking from seventy five to one hundred and fifty in like a year and a half or two years. Wow. So, so yeah, I have a I have a small group of guys that I've mentored up kind of through the business, and um, some of them still work for me, some of them work for other people. But they still call me, you know, almost three or four times a week with, hey, I got this problem. What do I do about it? So that kind of stuff is really fulfilling for me, and it makes me happy to amazing you know, these guys. But, um, but yeah, you know. I you know, got room for one more mentee? Yeah, I, I do. I've always got room, man. Good, 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 good. good. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so, yeah, that's, I really like that. The, the, uh, the fast food I'm really hands-off on. We build the stores, and um, – but, you know, the deal I made with him was like, I'll be involved, but I do not want to take calls when a 16-year-old kid doesn't show up to work. I don't I don't want to be part of that. So we, we have an operations group that runs the stores for us. So they do a really good job, and they take care of all that. So I'm, I'm kind of – once the stores open, we build the stores, and once they're open, we kind of turn it over to them and just let them have it. And then, of course, we get reports every month, and we have an app on our phone that we can see in real time, like how much our – how much – labor was hours were burning all these things uh like in real time so we check that pretty often and um we have one guy in our group that we designate all right you're the boss so when we think their labor hours are running high we want you to make the call so they don't have three or four different people calling them asking them three or four different things so um so that's kind of how we operate that business and that makes me really happy not to have to be in that day-to-day grind the fast food business yeah i've been in the uh I've been in the restaurant industry, man, and it is it is rough. Yeah, it is. My first job ever was uh, when I was a kid was a dishwasher, and just to see how hard it is to run a restaurant, I'm like, damn. I don't yeah. Know if I could ever do this. Yeah, it's uh, it's something else, man. But it's it's a good business to be in, and, and you know we've got some really good guys running the brand, so um, it makes me happy to see it growing. That's awesome. Do you consult with any gym owners? Do you just do gym owners? I don't, man. But I, you know, I have some friends, Paul Homme and Elliot Marshall, and all those guys, and they do a really good job of that. I've never kind of heard what they say to people, but you know, the people who own gyms that that do their programs say they're really, really good. So um, I don't, I don't, I don't mentor many people on gyms, and so I. You know, me and Travis Luter got crossed uh, back in 2018, and uh, so I left his gym. And as soon as I left, you know, I just I got my black belt. I'd been a black belt for a couple of years. I got when my black belt. Cross, what do you mean cross? Years. So I don't really know what happened, but after he gave me, I was his fastest black belt. I got my black belt in just under six years, and um, you know, I'd won two Nogi World Championships at that time at Purple and Brown. And um, when I got my black belt, I think he never really told me. Travis is a really peculiar dude. He's, you know, he's a 
he's a stud jiu-jitsu guy. Um, you know, he's a legend in jiu-jitsu. He's Carlos Machado's first American black belt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he's, he won season four of the ultimate fighter. I mean, he, I mean, you know, Travis, so yeah. he, um, so he's really good, but he's really peculiar. And he's, he, uh, I think he wanted me to open a school, but I'm not sure. I was teaching a lot of his classes, um, but just something happened. And he just, he just started treating me different. And so um, I didn't really understand it. We were, we were really good friends. And uh, so I tried to talk to him about it and he was like, Oh, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. And then just one day uh, he's got a son that's like eight at the time. He was like 18 years old. He's like 22 now, but he was like 18 years old, and he was a beast, man. He was a blue belt. He was just a savage kid. And uh, so we were rolling, and uh, he tried to – I had him in the submission. I wasn't pulling on the submission, but I had him in a submission. And uh, he tried to – instead of tapping, he tried to, like, kind of noodle his arm out, and it, it popped his arm a little bit. Uh-huh. So, um, and, you know, he's like a brother to me, so, you know, I would never hurt Travis's kids on purpose. And Travis started screaming at me in the middle of class, like in front of everybody. And so we kind of talked in private. I took a week off from the gym, and I came back, and I was rolling with another black belt. And um, we uh, it, he got hurt, but Travis was watching the same thing. It wasn't really – it was just like a little accident. Uh, I don't even know what happened, but uh, Travis started yelling at me again. So I was like, all right, dude, I don't know what's wrong with you, but – I. It feels like it's time for me to move on, so I did. Oh wow! And, yeah, so I I went and joined another gym, and uh, that's about the, I, I did one more competition, then I retired and um and all that. But whenever I left Travis's gym, dude, I had a ton of people calling me saying, "Hey, dude, if you want to open a gym, we'll back it and all this other stuff." And I was like, "Well, I know what you know about me, but I don't need anybody backing. I just don't want to open a gym." Yeah. I mean, if I was going to do it, I was I would have done it under, as an affiliate of Travis, and I was like, but yeah, I don't I don't have any desire to open a gym at all, and so, um, so yeah, I had a bunch of people ask me ask me to or that had existing gyms that, you know, they were older guys and they did jujitsu and they had gyms, but they had like some Brazilian guys or something running it, and they would move on or something would happen, and so they were just asking me to come run their gyms and. I just never had the desire to do that. I know they can be good businesses, and I know that, you know, I probably could have built one up and done well, but at the time, everything else was just doing so well. I just didn't think I could spend the time that it would need to, to make it successful. You sound you sound like the type of guy who just does not like drama. And let me yeah. tell you something. <laughs> jiu-jitsu, owning a jiu-jitsu gym is nothing but drama. Yeah, I've heard. <laughs> Someone... <laughs> Someone leaves. Oh, why'd he leave? Oh, he's training here now. Did you hear about this? And I'm just like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I'm just trying to run my, yeah. It, it's just, as soon as you said, I don't want to be involved in the day to day with the fast food because the 16 year old kid didn't show up. Yeah. Reminds me so much of running a gym. Like, the yeah. 22 year old <laughs> decides to go to this other gym. It's a big deal for everyone, but for me, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to live my life. Yeah, and it was a little like that, you know, uh, Travis didn't like his cross-training and uh, any of that, so whenever I left, it was like a big thing, and everybody was like, are y'all going to fight and all this other stuff, and me and Travis was like, well, what are y'all talking about? We, <laughs> you know, it never was like that, he still never told me what the problem was. He told me there was a problem, but he didn't tell me, he never told me what it was, so I just kind of dropped it, and uh, I've had this thought about it since. issue, man. I, I'm not going to say any names, but I've had people, they just start acting different to me. 
And then, you know, when I go to their gym, acting different, and I'll be like, hey, man, do we have a problem? What's going on? And like, no, we're good, but just treating me very different. And then I have to hear from someone else. Yeah. This is why they're mad. And then I'll go, is this why you're mad at me? No. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know what, man? (laughs) Where I'm from, we got a problem. We fight and and we solve it. We don't do this, like, silent treatment BS, you know? Yeah, it was the exact same way. And, you know, people were telling me, you know, kind of, I think it's this. I think it's this. He did mention this. He did mention this. So I would ask him, I was like, hey, man, you know, especially whenever I first came there, remember, I was I was poor. Like, when I first came there to his gym, I was like, you know, barely had, you know, $2 bills to rub together. And so as wow. I started, as I started getting more successful and all these other things, and um, it, it didn't, I don't think he was jealous of it. I think he was happy for me, but also, you know, he was like, damn it you know what I, I don't know if it i don't really know how to describe it i think it was just kind of irking a little bit it worked that hard um and I, I don't know i don't know if that was it or i don't know if it was something similar but there was a lot of people that told me that that you know he has a real problem with people like outshining him um in the gym and not that i was but um you know i found out i had a main event on fight to win against ricardo almeida uh, and i'd been off for a year uh, with an injury, and I mean, I'd been training, but I hadn't competed in a year, and my first competition back, Seth asked me to be the main event in Philly against uh, Ricardo. What and year so, is this? Uh, 2017? It was around wow. around this time in 2017, and uh, it was Ricardo's first fight-to-win match, and uh, we had a pretty good match, and um, he ended up, you know, I told Travis, like, I think he's going to try to heel-hook me, and I was like, I've known Ricardo for 20 years. I've never seen him heel hook anybody. He fucking heel hooked me. No, so, damn it. Yeah, he heel hooked me about seven minutes into the match. And so, uh, but Ricardo was another one of those. I had to kind of pull him in. I was like, you know, I have a style where I'm like, I'll pull you in. I'll let you think you're in a good position. Then all of a sudden you're submitted. And um, uh-huh. so I, I was doing this with Ricardo. He, you know, he tried to get an arm bar and I used it to sweep him. And um, But other than that, he wasn't really like engaging tight. And so, um, and I just felt like I was like, I was kind of pushing him with my ankles and I was like, you know, Travis said, he's not going to, there's no way he's going to heel hook me. And he grabbed for one and it was kind of a half-hearted attempt. So I was like, oh yeah, he doesn't know heel hooks that well. And the next one, man, it was tight. And (laughs) I had just gotten off of an injury and I was like, I do not. So I tapped pretty early. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fight it for very long. So you don't want to risk a heel hook. No, 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 no. So, but yeah, it was a good experience, and now me and him are are pretty good friends, and so, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been pretty cool. I heard some stuff like that, like it was, you know, he didn't think I deserved that match, and he didn't think that he he did not help me get re- ready for it at all. He wow. didn't roll me, he didn't help me, he didn't come up there and coach me, anything. So yeah, it just got weird. So I just left. So where are you training at now? So I train at a. Uh, Fight Sports affiliate here in Fort Worth. Um, and it's called Genesis Jiu Jitsu, and a guy named Albert Hughes owns the gym. Um, and actually, that was another thing is, so Albert uh, trained under Travis also when I first started at the school, and he was a brown belt when I got there. And so, um, and then Albert started his own school um, not long after that, um, and like half of Travis's students left and went with, (laughs) 
went with Albert. So there was some really bad blood there. Oh, wow. Uh, but, but now, you know, both schools are thriving. Travis is probably even bigger, um, you know, but he was really, really upset. And then when he found out I went there, and it really only had to do with logistics, you know, the reason I went there. I liked Albert, but, you know, if there had been a school that was closer or if something that, you know, would have been even the same distance from my house, um, I would have went there. So I didn't go there to try to spite Travis or anything like that, but it just it was closer. Seems weird that I went to the place where they, you know, kind of, he felt like they slided him a little bit. And are you a lifelong Dallas guy? So I was actually born in Hawaii, and um, my dad was in the Army, um, and I moved to Texas when I was two. Um, uh-huh. And then um, I, uh, I've been in Texas since, and then I joined the military out of high school and joined the Navy. I graduated in 1994, and um, I got stationed back in Hawaii. Oh, yeah, I lived in Hawaii for a few years. From what was your MOS? Uh, so I was a YN. So I wanted to be a SEAL, and uh, so I had to pick a job that was a SEAL source rating, and um, and that was the only one available at the time that I signed up. So I was a YN, which is What's basically that? like it's like a um, it's like a administrative assistant to the commanding officer. Okay. Yeah, so it was basically a secretary. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Um, you know, it was fun being in Hawaii for a few years, and but I was ready to come home. Uh, but yeah, Texas has been home. Uh, besides my two stints in Hawaii, that's uh, you know, and, and working out of town a lot, a couple months at a time. But other than that, I've always home based here in Texas around uh, Dallas Fort Worth. Did you did you get to go to Buds or anything? So I did, and I got hurt like almost immediately whenever I got there. Oh so man. I had a uh, had a disc in my back kind of slip, and and then I had like a, a little small fracture uh, in my tailbone, and so man, I just it was I was a few weeks into a physical training phase, and man, I just I couldn't go it. You know, I was only 19 years old, I just couldn't oh, go wow. anywhere. So um, I got sent out to the fleet, and then I got, ended up getting stationed uh, near a SEAL team with SDV Team One out in Fort Island. And made friends with a bunch of those guys, and then went to a bunch of. I went to air assault school with the army, and I went to rappel master and a bunch of other stuff. So I still got to do some cool stuff while I was in there, but there was no wars, there was no nothing going on when I was in there, so it was pretty relaxed. Okay. So we really just worked, went to the beach, lifted weights, and drank a lot of beer. <laughs> That's awesome. And you said yeah. I don't know if you, I don't know if you wanted to talk about it today, because pretty fucking awesome how you go from you said you were in jail for a little bit and now you're a multi-millionaire with many yeah. businesses what exactly did you do when you were younger that landed you in jail like 10 years later yeah so um so when i was 19 years old i came it was right after i got hurt in bud and um i was recovered i came home on leave and um i got in a fight at a bar and um you know i wasn't doing any martial arts or anything then so i didn't i was just a you know, I was a tough kid. I, I had kind of a rough life whenever I was a kid. Um, and so, um, you know, I was a really good athlete in high school. And then I joined the military, and I kind of got this superhero complex after I joined the military. Like, you know, I'm I'm here to save the world. And so, um, so yeah, I was at a bar with some of my friends. I was underage. And um, a guy tried to start a fight with actually one of my friends. And I kind of 
came over to intervene. I was like, hey, this isn't happening. You know, get the fuck out of here. And he uh-huh. kind of turned to me and, uh, you know, started mouthing to me, and I hit him. And I only hit him once, but it, it uh, like, knocked his teeth out, knocked his tooth out, and broke his jaw and all kinds of stuff. And so, um, you know, as an E3 in the Navy, uh, at that time, I think I made about $1,200 a month. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so when I finally – I didn't even know I was in trouble. I didn't get arrested that night or anything. Uh-huh. Like a year later, I got a call from the, uh, from the Fort Worth Police Department saying there was a warrant out for my arrest in Texas. You know, I was in the watch. And uh, so I was like, what for? And he's like, oh, you got in a fight, and you broke this kid's jaw, and, you know, we've been looking for you and all this other shit. So I uh, so I came back to Texas and, and did a walkthrough, and um, and this is a very short version. I did a walkthrough, and um, they, uh, they were like, we're going to see the judge today, and, you know, do you have money for an attorney? And I was like, I, you know, I've never been in trouble before. So I was like, how much is an attorney? <laughs> like, I don't know if you have to talk to one of them. So I went out in the hallway and just kind of talked to these attorneys, and they were like, the lowest one was like 3,500 bucks. Oh, my God. Like, well, I don't have 3,500 bucks. He's like, well, this is a felony that you have for aggravated assault with serious bodily injury. So I was like, I explained to him, I was like, look, I'm in the Navy. Dude, it would take me four months, and I couldn't pay for anything else. But you, it would take me four months to to make $3,500. Uh-huh. He was like, well, how much do you have? And I was like, I have like 200 bucks. And uh, he's like, all right, well, we're going to go in here to the district attorney and whatever they offer, you're just going to take it. He goes, I'll represent you, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to fight for you. We're just going to go get, see what they're offering. And if you want to take it, you can take it and you can leave today. I was like, okay. So I go in there and they said, yeah, they're offering you 10 years probation and that's deferred adjudication. So it's like, if you don't get in any trouble for 10 years, then you can, you, it comes off your record. I said, okay, well, can I stay in the military? And he said, yeah, they don't care what you do for a living. Oh, wow. Said, okay, then we'll take it. Okay. So I took it. So fast forward nine years and five months later. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude, I'm dating no. this girl. I'm dating no. this girl. And it was the most toxic relationship I've ever been in my life. And um, she calls me and says, hey, she had bought a new car. So she calls me and says, hey, will you come pick me up at this bar? Me and my fr- – a lot of my high school friends ended up being high school football coaches. Uh-huh. So in Texas, football – high school football is huge. Huge. So we uh, so we were going to go to the, the Cowboys Stadium and watch three high school uh, state championship games, like back-to-back-to-back. Uh-huh. The last one was a blowout. So she was like, after they – after you all finish, can you come – pick me up at this bar because I don't want to drive. I'm going to be drinking. I don't want to drive my new car. You can drive me home. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come by there. And she said, what time will you be there? And I said, I'll just come by around 2. And uh, she said, okay. We ended up walking. We left the last game early, and I ended up getting there around midnight. And um, so uh, as I walked in, I could just tell. I was like, man, there's something wrong. There's acting weird. And I was oh, like, no. So she comes over to me. She's like, hey, there's a guy here that's messing with me, and he won't leave me alone. I was like, all right, well, grab your stuff and let's go. And so she goes in to grab her stuff, and she's gone like 20 minutes. And uh, a girl comes up to me and says, hey, Michael, are you looking for Carrie? And I said, yeah. She said, "Uh, well, she's downstairs, and there's a guy holding her arm that won't let her come up the stairs. So I kind of make my way through this bar, and I come around the corner, and I look down these stairs, and sure enough, there's a guy that's like holding her wrist. 
I just open hand slapped him <laughs> across the face. And uh, as soon as a as soon as I did, I could see the look on his face. I was like, uh oh, this dude is thinks he's dating my girlfriend. Oh, and no. so I could just tell by the look on his face, like he was shocked that somebody would would you know yeah. talk to him while he's talking to his girlfriend like that. You can just tell. So it turns out I was right, and uh, you know I I owned a business then too, and uh, he was like. You know, he called me like a week. He got a hold of me. You know, I didn't get arrested that night either. Nobody got arrested. We all left, and I asked her what happened. She's like, oh, I don't know. So um, so this dude calls me like a week later, and he's like, hey, uh, just wanted to, this is the guy you slapped. I just want to tell you what was going on. You know, I was dating your girlfriend for a couple months. and Oh, my you know, God. And you show up, and she's like, I'm leaving with him. And he's like, I don't even know who you are. And so he was, she's like – you know, I'm leaving with him, and he was like, who is that? And she said, I'll explain it to you tomorrow and all this other stuff. And so he's trying to grab her arm, like, no, no, you got to explain it to me now. You know, your girlfriend's leaving with some other dude that you don't even know exists. <laughs> then that dude comes and slaps you, and you're like, dude, what is going on here? And so, um, so I was like, all right, well, you know what? I'm sorry that happened, but don't call me anymore, and I hung up on him. Uh-huh. I confronted her about it, and uh, she's like, yeah, man and blah 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 so I broke it off I guess they started dating again and so he calls me like a week later and he's like um, hey um, I heard you're on probation and I was like yeah and he goes I heard you own your own business and I said yeah and he goes well you need to meet me tomorrow with $4,000 no, no. charges." and I was like I will slap you 4,000 more times before I give you $1 go fuck yourself <laughs> oh, no. Dude, two weeks later there's a knock on my door, and there's another warrant out for my arrest, and he pressed charges. They revoked my felony probation from 10 years ago for a Class C misdemeanor and revoked my probation and uh, sends me to two years in prison. Are you fucking kidding me? No, dude. It was the craziest fuck, and it all happened in a fucking blink of an eye. I could Jesus not fucking believe Christ. it. Oh. Yeah, dude. It was, it was so – and, dude – Dude, there's this, there's a book coming out soon that I'm I have a ghost I will be the first motherfucker to buy yeah. that book. <laughs> dude, it's dude, you wouldn't believe it, man. From the time <laughs> I was two, <laughs> you said seven. fast forward nine years and five months later, I'm like, please don't tell me that he did he got into trouble again. Yeah, dude, oh. got in trouble for a class C misdemeanor that violated my original probation, and. Yeah, dude, it was fucking devastating, and so and did you, you know, actually in, do the whole two years? Oh yeah, and uh, while two was, years, yep, in a Texas prison, and it was oh, fucking awful. God. And while I was in there, thirty-two to thirty-four. Uh, no, from about from uh, the end of my thirtieth year, so I was almost thirty-one. I don't know, I just turned thirty-one mm-hmm. uh, until I was thirty-three. Oh my god. For fucking defending yourself. Yeah, I mean it wasn't, you know, in Texas, the you know they don't play around down here. So in Texas, the victim is the loser. You can somebody can start a fight with us, and if if we beat the shit, if we can let them hit us twenty times. If we beat the shit out of them, and you know we're knotted up or whatever, but we put them in the hospital, even though they started it, even though they beat you up, they're the victim because they lost. I thought I thought Texas was gonna be real lenient about this stuff. Not everyone fights down there and stuff. 
No. Well, everyone does, but yeah, it's uh, it's, they're not leaning about any of it. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, they don't play around in Texas. I used it's, to be, uh, I used to do security, and I can't tell you how many nights I just wanted to do what you did and just punch somebody in the face for acting up, and I had to hold back. And I'm like, dude, if I punch someone the wrong way and they freaking hit their head, bro, the judge doesn't care. They're they're gonna, yeah. they're gonna put you away for no reason. Yep. And, you know, and so that's why people thought I was crazy. They were like, Michael, you just got out of jail for fighting, and now you're going to go fight? Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> and I was like, man, I, I just need to do something extracurricular, and I just, you know, you know, Brad had told me, he's like, dude, you fight so much that you will never even think about fighting when you leave that gym. That <laughs> yeah, the last yeah. thing on your fucking mind. Never – and and he was right, like, immediately, like, after I've been training a month, a fight would happen around me somewhere, and I'd be like, well, time for me to leave. It would have nothing to do with me, but I was like, nope, the energy's bad in here, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> so, That's with me. One day, I, I was done doing, like, a double session, and I'm getting on the train to get home, and some guy bumps into me, and they're like, you got a problem? I just looked at him. And I'm just like, I've been fighting all day. The last thing yeah. I want to do right now is fight. And I think he understood he he fucked with the wrong guy, and he just walked away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was the jail time like? Like, what, what did you do in there? Dude, I worked out. I uh, I did a lot of soul searching. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, Mike, you're the first person that I've ever told this story out loud because I just, you know, I've, I'm talking to this guy about this writing this book and it's a ghost writer and uh-huh. he's, a, he's a psychologist also and he's like Mike mm-hmm. you need to start telling this story because I was always embarrassed about it and he's like you need but to you didn't really do anything because wrong. the first one was self defense yeah the second one you thought someone was harming a woman but you didn't really yeah. do anything wrong in either case yeah and that's true Mike but also you know I wasn't I wasn't doing anything wrong but I was really mischievous, and I was kind of toying with, you know, I would still go out, and not, you know, I wasn't allowed to be in bars, I wasn't allowed to be anywhere, you know, anywhere like that, and I still was going to places like that, so I was kind of tinkering with it, you know, uh-huh. I, I was, I was kind of tempting fate anyways, whenever I was uh, doing those things, so, you know, it could have, it could have been worse, of course, and, um, but. Yeah, man, I just did a lot of soul searching. I was like, man, is this the way I want my life to go? You know. I'd, even though, you know, you, it's really hard to say that it's not your fault whenever you did the things. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's, it's, you did them. You can't really say you didn't do it. So, you know, it's really hard to kind of, you know, kind of skirt the fault uh, whenever you know you did it. So, so I just did some soul searching in there, and I was like, what do I want my life to be like whenever I, whenever I get out? And so I just made a bunch of promises to myself, and I've never broken them, ever. And what were so the promises? Um, you know, I was just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna concentrate on, uh, concentrate on me, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be so trying so hard to impress people. You know, I used the flashy guy you were talking about. That was me, a hundred percent. I liked being out. You know, I would be out five or six nights a week. Wow. You know, when I would, I, just about all the money I had, I would have it on me. <laughs> so <laughs> I would just. I was just that kind of guy whenever I was in my 20s, and I started playing semi-pro in arena football when I was in my mid-20s. And, you know, I was just always in about the – it was just about being a superstar. And so um, and so now, 
you know, I have the opportunity to do all those things. And I just don't. Like, I don't go to after parties. I don't do any of that shit. I don't. <laughs> so I just made a promise to myself. I was like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing grown-up things. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to stop having fun. Um, but I'm just going to, I'm going to take care of my business. I'm going to, I'm going to be a, a person that I would want to be friends with. You know, I look back at my 25 year old self and I was like, man, what a douchebag. I I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang out with that dude for shit. (laughs) I mean, now I wouldn't hang out with that dude for shit. So, um, you know, it was just, just one of those things where I just didn't feel like I wasn't really doing anything wrong. I didn't feel like I was a good guy. So, um, and so I just wanted to change that. I just wanted to, I wanted to be happy with the guy I was. So when I started doing these things and started, you know, kind of keeping these promises to myself and, you know, all these people were like, Hey Mike, you know, athletics has always come really easy to me. And Brad was afraid I was going to get into jiu-jitsu. I was going to get good at it quick and then quit because I thought it wasn't challenging enough or, you know, mm-hmm. I'd make some excuse about, you know, wanting to go out or something. And then, you know, I would stop going to jujitsu, and so I just, you know, it was just, it was kind of rooted in that. I'm gonna do this first, no matter what. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep doing this, even if it's on a small scale, even if I never compete. I'm gonna keep doing this, and mm-hmm. so my wood, they paid for it, they invested in me, so I'm gonna make sure that the investment pays off. Wow. And never, you know, never look back, never stopped. I haven't missed. I haven't, even when I was injured. Uh, and I haven't had any major injuries, but even when I was injured, I would still go to the gym every night, put my gi on or no gi or whatever we were doing, and I would be there with, with the students and in the gym and in the environment. I just immersed myself in it completely. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you, did you ever in a million years think that you would get out of jail and, and become who you are now? Dude, so <clears throat> it's funny because I I kept a journal while I was in there, and do like 70% of the stuff that I wished for and that I wanted, I have. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I kind of did. Uh, you know, I didn't – it's one of those things where you never know if it will happen because, you know, I was scared. I was like, you know, I've been to jail now. Nobody's going to want to hire me and all these other things. And so – but I wasn't going to let it stop me. I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let it stop me. I'll, if I have to make my own way, I'll just make my own way. Um, wow. But I was a little scared about that, so I was like, "Man, maybe I need I need to be prepared to suffer for the rest of my life because of this." Um, and so, I was prepared for all of that, and you know, I was I just I was patient, and it took about six months before I started making any money at all. Really? Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I was working for my dad, but I was just I didn't even have, I didn't have a car, I didn't have anything, and so I had to buy all that shit. I didn't have any clothes. I didn't have anything. And so, um, so yeah, I had to just start over. So it was six months before I was really able to save anything and start doing anything. And then, you know, once I did, it started snowballing. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger really, really quick. So That's wild. Yeah, then I fucking – the day I got my black belt, this dude asked me, you know, we had a tradition at Travis's school where when you got promoted – um, you had to go around with everybody that wanted to go around with you to submission. And so, you know, I was kind of a, you know, I, I was, you know, I've won Nogi Worlds at Purple and Brown Belt and the adult division at Purple and then a master's division at Brown. Um, but, you know, I rolled really hard. I, I rolled it to win every round. I just wanted to make sure I was winning. That winning was the only thing I knew. And so that's uh-huh. how I rolled even in class. 
and people knew that. So when I got my black belt, there's like 200 people there, and every fucking one of them were like, "No, nah, I'm gonna wait till you're about 20 people in, and then I'll come roll with you." And they just they just wanted to beat the shit out of me. <laughs> and so, um, so the day I I got my black belt, like halfway, I'm ha- I've, I've done rounds with half the people in the class, and Travis was like, "Go get a drink of water, come back and finish the other half." And I was like, "Okay." So I go get a drink of water. I'm coming off the mat. I look over to my left, and there's a dude standing there, and it's the summertime. He's wearing, like, a leather jacket, real heavy New York accent, and uh, he's like, hey, what's your name? And I look over at him. I was like, Mike? He was like, Mike, have you ever thought about doing any acting? And, dude, I kind of rolled my eyes, and I was like, I'm busy right now. I was like, I don't <laughs> I don't, I don't, know. I can't even think about that. And I was married at the time, and I was like, go talk to my wife and – you know, give her whatever information. I just walked off. Well, after after ranking day, you know, I we leave. My wife's like, "Hey, you need to talk to this guy. I think he's serious." So I said, "Okay." So I call him and he asked me to do a uh, he asked me to audition for this part in a new TV show. And I was like, "Man, I've never done any acting or anything like that." He's like, "I think you'll be good at it. Just come and, come and do a table read with me." So I did. And uh, ended up getting the part, and it was a pilot for a TV show with Lorenzo Lamas. Um, and uh, and so it's it, it's been ongoing, but it's finally it looks like it's going to get picked up. But off of that, I've been in three movies now, and I have a, another one coming up. Um, and you know, I had the biggest role I just had. I'm the I'm the I'm the killer in this horror flick nice. based off of a based off of a video game called Dead by Daylight. Nice. And um I play the trapper and he's like it's all mask and I mean it's a it's a full four hours worth of makeup. It's it's crazy. Um but it's they're gonna start releasing the trailer. You may have seen the trailer on my Instagram, but they're gonna start releasing the trailer for distribution. Uh we're not sure where it's going yet. They won't tell us, but I think it's gonna go to Netflix or something like that. But uh we'll start seeing distribution trailers uh on Halloween. So Bad yeah, <laughs> but yeah, just all these things one after another. You know, during COVID, um, I was the head referee for Seth Daniels, and they were all the fight to win people were staying at my house. I had a huge house. Oh, really? and, uh, you know, I was I was going through a divorce, and all their shows were here in Dallas because Dallas was letting people do them just with yeah. no spectators. So all their shows every week were here in Dallas. So Seth's like, dude, can I stay? Can me and my team stay with you to save us on hotels? You know, we're not making any money. I was like, yeah, of course. I was going through a divorce, so it helped me too. Plus, I had chicks in and out of my house all the time. It was awesome. <laughs> and, um, awesome. and so, yeah, so uh, so I was the head referee, and um, I was doing a rules meeting one night, and uh, Seth calls me to the front. And he's like, hey, dude, I need you to come up here. And I come up there, and he's like, hey, dude, the fucking uh, commentators. One of them got COVID, and they were both riding here together, so I don't have any commentators for tonight. And I was like, what do you want me to do? Are we canceling on the show? What do you want me to do? He's like, no, 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 I need you to do commentary. I was like, what? So he's like, yeah, dude, just have fun with it, whatever. You know, we'll we'll do it, and uh, if it sucks, don't worry about it. I'm like, all right, if it sucks, don't be mad at me. Uh-huh. So I did it. And uh, and then he was like, dude, you're you're going to do commentary every show. You fuck referee, and you're going to be our new commentator. Wow. So I started doing commentary for Seth, and I did I did it all summer. I did it every week all summer. Holy and, shit. Um, and uh, and then we did it from like we did it for like four months, maybe four or five months. They were staying at my house, and um, and they were and we were doing a show every week, and um, and so 
I have a buddy of mine who, you know, I, I, I still kept doing it. Even after they left, I would do it. Whenever, they would still do like two shows a month in Dallas and then two in Denver. And so they were going back and forth. So I was still working a lot. And um, I have a buddy that I was childhood friends with who works for UFC. He runs UFC Fight Pass. And uh, he was like, hey, man, I heard you doing commentary. You're pretty good. I was like, oh, thanks. And, uh, you know, we were just talking. We've been friends since we were 10 years old. And um, he was like, hey, work on these couple things, uh, and I'll get you a gig with us. Well, I was like, you know, whatever. He's being nice, and, you know, I appreciate it. But I still took his advice and worked on the things he told me to work on. And uh, and then, like, three or four months later, he calls me and says, hey, I want you to meet me in Houston. I'm going to introduce you to some people. Okay, so we go to the pay-per-view event in uh, Houston, and um, – he introduced me to Eric Garcia, who owns Fury Fight Championship. I go to his show the next night after the pay-per-view show. Went on a Sunday night. They introduced me to a couple people there. And he's like, hey, you got an audition. You got one show to audition. If you can, if you make it, then we'll we'll sign you. And I said, okay. So I did the one show with Alex Morano and Todd Moore. And, um, man, we, we did great. The chemistry was really good. So um, I uh, – I started doing commentary for Fight Pass, and then I got to do the inaugural UFC Invitational at the UFC Connect with uh, TJ DeSantis and Pearl Collins, and the rest is history, man. Now I'm doing all kinds of shit. And then, you did you know, ADCC, stuff. too. Yeah, I did ADCC, and so, you know, I was on Flow Grappling whenever I, I was doing it for Seth, and I got to know the Flow Grappling people really well, and, um, you know, Seth introduced me to Mo, and I went to Puerto Rico and trained with DDS out there. Oh, nice. Uh, when they were all out there, and I went and trained out there for a week. And um, and then me and Seth got to, or me and uh, Mo got to know each other and just became cool. And, you know, they were like, you know, we want you to be involved in ADCC somehow. And we really didn't know at first. And then uh, I was like, you know, I was under contract with Fight Pass now. And so I was like, you know what, I just want to be a spectator. And when I got out there, they were like, hey, we're going to do a press conference, and you're going to be the, the press moderator for the Q&A. I was like, all right, cool, I'll do that. So I did it. Well, they canceled the press conference. Then they oh, just did the bracket reveal, and they're like, all right, you're going to be the host of the bracket reveal. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. shit. Okay, well, I don't have anything prepared. He's like, all right, you're good, man. Just wing it. So that's what I did. <laughs> and that's how I got to do that at ADCC. That's awesome. I'm like, wait, I know that guy. He was competing yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. And, um, you know, I, I uh, Seth and Mo treated me really well at ADCC. I had front row seats, and I had a whole section of myself, and, um, so yeah, it was, it was really good. And, you know, I have a lot of friends in the UFC and a lot of friends in the UFC organization. And so, um, so yeah, man, it's been, it's, it's really fun. I'm having a blast doing it between acting and commentary and all the other stuff I've got coming up, man. It's been, you know, plus my business is going really well. So yeah, man, I, you know, I got divorced, which devastated me. I was with the, I started dating a girl like two weeks after I got out. Oh, and wow. we, were, we were, we got married a couple years later and then we, got divorced um just during covid and um yeah i was devastated man but you know it's kind of one of those things that happens part of life and i didn't do anything wrong and um so just uh kind of a single guy now i just built another house and i don't know if you saw my picture of my gym that i'm building behind i saw yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got we got some plans for that. So um, I'm gonna, I think I have an income stream that I'm gonna make off of that too. So 
Um, uh-huh. so I wanted to later on maybe call and ask some advice about my gym that I just opened. Yeah. Years and I uh, just opened up my new spot. I was subleasing from a Taekwondo school. Yeah. I was able to build up a pretty tough program, and now I have my own spot, so a nice blank slate to work with now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, mine's just behind my house. Like, I have a shop behind my house, and uh-huh. inside I just built it in there, and it's an 18 by 18 mat, so it's only big enough for probably two or three groups to roll in. So, uh-huh. um, you know, my girlfriend, I'm dating a girl that's a purple belt now, and um, so, you know, we've been dating for seven or eight months, and um, and so we want a place to roll back there, and then it's got a gym, an actual gym in it. So I lift, I'll lift weights back there and all that stuff. But my mats will be here like in a couple of weeks, and then it'll be finished. So that's badass. Um, yeah. So and, and it's right out my back door. So I'm, I'm looking forward to training there. Yeah, for sure, man. I'd love to have you. Hell yeah, man. Well, um, do you have any last things to say to the listeners, man? Just uh, you know. I, I tell everybody this. There's a, I have a mantra that says improve your position, and you know it's something Travis used to say to me when he was coaching me, and I, yeah, I only it only aimed to jujitsu as far as I was concerned. You know, if I was flat on my back, he would tell me to improve my position to get to your side and things like that. And I kind of adopted that to say, you know, no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter what, don't don't try to get it all back at once. Improve your position just a little bit at a time, and cumulatively, all those start to add up. And all of a sudden, you have this big snowball that becomes something that can't be stopped, and that's the stage I'm at now. And I would encourage anyone who's going through anything, because you know it, it was as bad for me as it as it has been for anyone. Anyone going through anything like that, um, just improve your position a little bit every day, and I promise you, you'll come out of it, and you'll come out of it better if you let it. So that's it, man. Just. Keep plugging away. I love what you're doing, Mike, and uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Can't wait for the next one. Yeah, follow me on Instagram at BlackBeltMike99. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, brother. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Well, there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. I sure as hell enjoyed freaking talking to uh, to Black Belt Mike. That was That was wild. That was wild. That was surreal. What a what a badass life story. Now before you leave, you know what you gotta do. You know what you gotta do. You gotta go on Instagram. You gotta follow me at K O O L R A K. You gotta follow the gym at Immortals Jiu Jitsu. You gotta follow the podcast at Rambling with Rack. Go on my website. Go to go to go on immortalsjujitsu.com. Give my website some traffic for that SEO. Give my school a good rating. All right? Help the school out. Give us five stars on Google. And um, what else? Come by the school. Visit us. Be part of the team if you're in the North Jersey area. All right, guys. Hope you guys have a wonderful Sunday evening. And I will see you next time. Mm -hmm.